The Paunch Stevenson Show. PaunchStevenson.com. Episode 108. Sunday, August 10th, 2008. So this is The Paunch Stevenson Show, episode 108. Yeah. And I am Rob, you are Greg, and yep. we have a special guest with us, longtime listener. Um, he's a fan of ours, we're a fan of his. Esteban from Please Save Me Robots, which is pleasesavemerobots.blogspot.com. That's correct. Thanks so much for coming on the show, and we, we've been actually trying to work this out for a while. And uh, it's finally happened. I don't understand why anyone would want to talk to me based on my blog. <laughs> but I'm really flattered. Well, it's funny. You write funny things. Uh, and likewise, this show is always a lot of fun to listen to. Plus, uh, it saves us from having to think of something to talk about for at least one episode. <laughs> there is a lot of stuff to talk about, actually. I mean, the the robot stuff aside... We were talking a little bit before you started recording about um, the San Diego Comic-Con and what's going on there. And I thought there were a couple of uh, somewhat Paunch Stevenson-related things kind of popped up in my mind as I'm watching the the blogs and the news sites and uh, a couple of TV shows that are trying to cover it. That when they mentioned uh, these these movies or whatever that are coming up, I thought, well, what would what would Greg and Rob think? Well, I know what Greg would think. He'd probably think, these are terrible. That's a terrible idea. But <laughs> well, this is supposed to be a comic con, right? And there's like ten percent of it involved comics. What's the other ninety percent? Actual comics, like Dane Cook was there last year and got booed out of the place. So they think that it's comedian con, <laughs> not no, comic they, book con. They try and no, they're just trying to peddle every single like any movie that's coming out. It, they, they, I guess they just assume that Comic Con is, you know, because there's so many people there that uh, uh, movies coming out, we we have to promote it here. But you know, the obviously the people that are in attendance are not going to care about Dane Cook or a Nicolas Cage movie or something. I don't I even think they care about Ghost Rider. What happens is they're trying to kind of uh, switch the theme or or the focus or the image at least so that it's less comic books and more like a, a geek convention. So. If you have Keanu Reeves and, and Jennifer Connelly or whoever it is that have almost nothing to do with comic books in their current projects, you at least have this sort of assumption that the crowd is going to appreciate them as being in the geek culture. Jennifer Connelly is in the geek culture? Well, wasn't she in that one movie, Dark uh, Dark City? Oh, yes. Yes, one of my favorites. I thought that was a great movie. I, I don't know that it's a geek movie. I no, I, no but you know, you're right. It, uh, Dark City is a like a kind of like a cult movie, but she was also in uh, uh, Labyrinth. Ah, there you go. That's the connection. Because No, I don't think so. <laughs> Nobody liked that. <laughs> People like it. <laughs> Ghastly. Oh, no. David Bowie, come on. I just saw this interviewer talking to her on TV and saying, well, you are respected and worshipped in geek culture. And, and I'm like, well, from what? What movie specifically? Oh, wait. The 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 first Hulk movie. Oh, the first Hulk <laughs> movie. There you go. That's the comic time. That garbage. Yeah. Well, she was there. She's there now because they're promoting a remake of The Day the Earth Stood Still. Ugh. It's coming out later this God. year with 
Keanu Reeves as uh as Barada, I think. Or hold on, was that the lead guy's name? The alien guy that I, wasn't the role? I don't remember. We, that's not the one they did in the eighties with Jason Robards, is it? No. No, it's an old ancient, movie. This is the ancient black and white uh, the, the Klaatu Barada Nikto movie. You remember that? Was Ringo Starr in that? <laughs> what? <laughs> Ringo. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't think he might have been an extra. I don't he did. Know. He did movies. When he did that caveman movie. <laughs> he, did. he did. He used to do movies with Peter Sellers. <laughs> <laughs> I never mind. Oh, it's Peter Sellers. <laughs> never mind. I can't oh. breathe. Was he? It was Ringo Starr. Yet another James Bond in the Casino Royale movie. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Along with David Niven and Phil Woody Allen. Everybody was James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Speaking of speaking of Comic Con, I was looking at your. You had written some blog entries, Esteban, about something called BotCon. Oh yes, the the Transformer convention that you were at a few months ago, and you know Greg and I grew up with the Transformers. We like the old toys, the old cartoons. But if if I went to that, what would I experience? You know, BotCon is such the the antithesis of like a San Diego Comic Con because the attendance numbers are way 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 smaller. It's actually very tiny compared to some of your larger ones. So it's really, I'd say, not as scary as a a normal kind of geek show where you have people in stormtrooper costumes and stuff like that. It's more of a low-key affair. You know, a lot of the main attraction there is the big dealer room that you walk into and you see all these old toys. Yeah. So there's collectors who set up tables and sell their old collections. Exactly. There's a lot of those guys. There's a lot of people with um, established stores from the internet and elsewhere that sell, show up in person. So that's then, mainly what BotCon is all about? Essentially, I think the Transformer fandom is more fixated on, on the collecting part of it than any other aspect of, of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Because in terms of guests... Usually, you won't have a lot of guests at a, at a BotCon, and they're not going to be really big names. Like, when the movie hit last year, uh, 2007, I believe it was. Gosh, it's mm-hmm. hard to believe the Transformer movie was a year ago. Yeah, we were uh, complaining nonstop about it. <laughs> I've, you know, I've, I've only seen it once. In the theater? It's, me too. No, I, I downloaded it as a bootleg. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't even pay to go oh. see it. <laughs> And I was so annoyed at what I saw that I haven't I haven't had the the urge to, I never had the urge to go see it. Well, the Blu-ray's coming out soon, and I was thinking of going to the pawn shop with the DVDs I do have of it. Maybe I should just send it to you so you can watch a halfway decent copy. No, no. I don't know. It's, I think it's coming on HBO soon, so maybe I'll watch it on that. But that's nah. uh. well, like I say, BotCon is really not. Uh, not a lot of bells and whistles, and even when they had the movie, the biggest guest at the show, I believe, was uh, Peter Cullen, yeah. the voice of Optimus Prime. Like you're, you're not going to see 
Michael Bay or Shia LaBeouf. No. Or Megan Fox at BotCon. Yeah, it's. I don't know if they still do it, but it's. I don't think they do. But there was that convention called Dragon Con, uh, that was held in Atlanta. Yes. For mm-hmm. years and years, and and before like Comic Con, this was the convention for like science fiction and and those kind that kind of genre was. I mean, there were Star. There was always there's always Star Trek conventions. There's less of them now, but there was always Star Trek conventions all over the place and that kind of thing. But um, Dragon Con was the really the place for everything else. Another uh, sim- similar one to that would be like the cla- there's something called a Classic Gaming Expo, which is very very similar to that in that it's it's really it's all for like the old you know the classic gaming like old old stuff and um, I I think it's a it's a very limited um, yeah, number usually, of people that that go. I think I've seen a video of that one. And the the average con goer to that show is is not a little kid. No, it's yeah. You're not gonna see a lot of little kids running around the place or or crazy people in costumes. Yeah, I mean it's it's for the the, the really the, the hardcore enthusiasts. Yeah, the guys that are making their own Atari Twenty Six Hundred games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and releasing them there for other yeah. guys who still have working Atari Twenty Six Hundreds to play. Yeah, plus the collectors who collect like the really rare stuff or selling the really rare stuff, they'll go there to do it because all the big, you know, all the big time, uh, the people, the movers and shakers are at that place. Exactly. You know, so, so you can, you know, there's a lot of this stuff you can buy on the internet if you're a collector, but it's like, oh, can I trust this or trust that? And, you know, you, if you're going to a place like that, that's, what you're going, you know, that's what you're going to get. It's like uh, on TV, you always see the um, on the Speed Channel, they have the Barrett Jackson car auction for the car collectors. Yes. And that's a little bit more like, obviously, there's, you know, there's thousands of people that just go there to, to look at the cars. But that's still the same kind of idea in the sense that, you know, when you're going there, that this is the cream of the crop of the collectors. So you don't have to really worry about oh if I'm if I buy you know if I spend two million dollars on a car am I going to get hosed here? But you see that in in essence is the market that those video game graders are going for people yeah. who don't trust the other guy selling what he says he's selling, so they would rather pay a third party to assess the condition of a video game. <laughs> <laughs> I I know and and like I've said I don't know if I said it on on the show or not but uh, that kind of thing totally destroyed the the baseball card you know the sports card hobby. Um obviously it's good for like autographs and that kind of thing but the problem you a lot of you wind up with is it wasn't simply grading it in terms of okay this is authentic or this isn't authentic or this is the condition they would go beyond normal condition. So if a price for something in, in let's say mint condition is hundred dollars, these graders would then upgrade that to super, you know, some value above mint, which <laughs> didn't make any sense. It's either in perfect shape. I mean, how can you have something more than perfect? I know they, they added mint plus <laughs> the mint plus category. It's absurd. It's completely absurd, and it's just a it's just a way of 
making more money off something and, and adding value to something where there is no value. We talked no about that real... in episode 97. Oh, there you go. The there... Beckett price guides. And oh, God. I don't know. Oh, God, those <laughs> shysters, they were just out to rip everybody off. But it's really the mentality you have in, in this country, kind of, in a way, in the sense that you have this almost like this culture that is trying to like get let let's let's see what we can make money from without doing anything well get rich quick exactly and that's why we have to pay four dollars and whatever a gallon for gas because you have people that are, are speculating on how much the the gas how much the oil will cost in x amount of you know a year from now or whatever it is so they're not really trading based on the value. They're trading based on some guess. I wonder so, how long before people start grading their gas like they do video games. Uh, <laughs> well, they do. Right? Well, you can get yeah, regular. You can get plus. Well, you can get premium. <laughs> premium costs more. It's, it's more. Yeah, you know all, all three are coming out of the same tank. The, right, one is 89 octane, one is 90 octane, the most expensive one is 91 octane. <laughs> well, I think it's like 87, 89, 93. Yeah, ooh, big deal. And then and then Sunoco ha- used to have Sunoco, I don't even think they bother to sell anymore, they had, used to have Sunoco Ultra, which was 94 octane. <laughs> so for one more octane, whatever that is... <laughs> It was like another probably 50 nothing. cents. Um, yeah, I know. It's like another 50 cents. Jeez. But you see, just as you have the people who would pay the extra $10,000 for the most common uh, baseball card, just as long as it's graded, you have that one guy that's driving his car thinking, you know, I'm driving better gas than the guy next to me. <laughs> My gas is better than everybody else's gas. <laughs> yeah, that that's more what the problem is not the get rich quick people because i get that that's the american way essentially but the people that will pay for these ridiculous services that mean nothing that just cater to your ego that just kind of flatter you into thinking you're uh you're amassing of whatever it is the toy robots or or baseball cards or whatever is somehow better than the next guy who's collecting the exact same stuff just in a different combination or missing one or two that you may or may not have. Yeah, that's well, that again, that's I think where you go from collecting, which I think is uh, at least anything I've collected, it's based. It's a goal. You know, it's another goal that you have and whatever you're doing. And the goal is to, to have this or that. It's not so much to say, well, I've got mo- I've got more than you. I mean, I, yeah, I've, I mean, that that was the way I thought when I was like 10, you know, and I would <laughs> no, but wait open the pack. Yeah, I'd open the pack of baseball cards and be like, ah, I've got a Don Mattingly or a Wade Boggs, and you, you know, you look at your your pack. You got Oil Can Boyd and <laughs> you know some other horrible player from the '80s, and and you know that, that. But that was like kids just picking on each other. But no, uh, wait, Greg, it's even, just it's a goal. It's only a goal. I know, but even adults, right? As stupid as this sounds, mm. whether it's toys or video games or coins, stamps, baseball cards, adults start out, like you said, okay, this is I'm going to collect this as a hobby. Here's my yeah. goals, collect X, Y, and Z. And it starts out fun. It starts out innocent, a nice hobby. And then for some reason, 
like a year or two into it, it just becomes this addiction or this obsession uh. where these people are just spending more than they had ever planned. And it's like, oh, look, there's another pack of baseball cards. Oh, there's another uh, toy at Walmart. There's another new video game that came out that I know I'm never, ever going to play. I'm never even going to open it. But there's a new video game and I have to buy it. Otherwise, my collection isn't complete. Yeah, and there's it, that. It, it just takes over the people. Yeah, there's that that uh, that like obsessiveness with completism. Completism. You know, yeah. Yeah, a completist. You know, you've got to have you got to have everything. You, and 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 if it's a toy or a video game, even it's got to be a sealed box. Right. Oh, sealed box. It could. What could be inside of it? Who knows? It, it, you know, it, it it the the game could have turned into uh, silly putty or something. It, doesn't matter. It's sealed. I know. There's people who go on eBay. And again, these people probably just started out, ooh, look, I have a whole bunch of video games. Maybe mm. I'll make it into a collection. And they become so obsessed with it. They go on the eBay or some site like that. And it's like, look, there's a, a, a Hello Kitty version of an Xbox that only uh. came out in Japan. And this guy's selling it for $750. I have to have it. I have to have it. <laughs> and it's like any normal person who isn't involved in that situation, like someone like me, like I'm an outsider looking at this guy's situation. I'm like, come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but the guy who's in that situation at the moment, he feels like this is the most important thing ever. Yeah, the the action figures no matter what the action figure is of, those are the worst because I mean, those are made cheaply. Obviously they cost less, but that, I mean, those are just situations where they just come up. I mean, they'll just recycle the same exact toys over and over again. I know and, just with and, a different head and the DVDs would be the worst. I mean, with the double and triple dipping, I mean, people uh. that actually collect DVDs, they had they'd have to have their head examined welcome to the punch stevenson show sometimes collecting is fun and happy and then sometimes collecting is kind of depressing and a waste of time well, you remember that one movie, I think Cool World? Oh. Was it Cool World where uh, uh, Steve, um, what's his name, Bushimi? Bushimi? Yeah, Bushimi. He's, he's kind of the weird old guy that they trick into going to the diner under the pretense that he's going to meet a person that he had correspondence with from a personal ad in the newspaper. That's he's the what? creepy collector guy. Uh, oh, so he's not the, the, you're not thinking of Gabriel Byrne because he was, wasn't no, he the no. star? No, this is Bushimi. No, but Gabriel Byrne was the, the main star in Brad Pitt. Of Cool World? Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm totally screwing up the title. <laughs> it's, not, it's Ghost I'm, World. Oh, <laughs> Ghost I'm thinking World. of the, that stupid movie with, uh, Kim Basinger as the cartoon. Yeah, no, 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 no. I meant Ghost World. Yeah, he has a great line in that one. He has that great line where they're they're looking at his gigantic collection of of record albums and all this weird uh, memorabilia from ages past, and he says something to the effect that 
his hobbies, he hates his hobbies, or, or I hate my hobbies. And it seems like it isn't your hobby unless uh, you, you feel terrible about it, unless it makes you depressed and a maniac. But it doesn't Thanks. start out like that, though. But it seems like inevitably that's what it becomes. Because, again, it's about completism. And if you don't have everything, you, you're not complete. You're not done. You're not finished. You failed. But it's never finished. You're incomplete. It's never finished. Exactly. Well, yeah, okay. But uh, uh, like you say, uh, uh, collecting anything, you, the person, decide when you are finished. And that's, I just think people can't handle that. Did you hear at Comic-Con they announced there's going to be a, a new Tron? Or maybe this is probably already well-known. There's going to be a sequel to Tron. Okay, now I never saw the first Tron, so I'm I'm kind of like Rob on this. Okay. Uh, you I have miss much. I, <laughs> I have Awful. no idea. the The main guy is Jeff Bridges, right? Jeff Bridges is in it, yes, but I don't believe he was actually the star. <laughs> I don't, so I have let's to just look go up. with Jeff Bridges. Whatever. Oh, yeah, is, I know. The worst. You know, there's gonna be like Tron have fans. We, just to interrupt you. Have you seen The Vanishing with Jeff Bridges? No. Ah! <laughs> I give up. <laughs> You know, that's the greatest where, part of this show, though. The Jeff Bridges, where, where he talks like this all I, day. He does that on purpose? Yes, he talks like this. My name is Barney. Hello, Jeff. I talk oh, in this very deliberate manner. I pronounce all of my syllables separately. Was that a Jack Nicholson movie? No, it was uh, Kiefer Sutherland. I kidnapped Sandra Bullock and dug a hole and put her in it, in a coffin. <laughs> a Sandra Bullock movie. It was from the 90s. The 90s. That would probably that would probably be why I haven't seen it. It's, it's, it's on cable here and there, maybe like on Encore or something like that. But So is um, it good? Is it good? No, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a terrible, <laughs> it's a... It's a horrible movie, but just Bridget, his his voice is so hilarious. It's that's what you know, that was enough to keep you watching. Yes, it was like the last the last episode one hundred and seven. We talked about Nicolas Cage in The Wicker Man. Yes, I don't know if you ever saw The Wicker Man, and in fact, I I'm making a post, and this is what I was talking about earlier before we start recording. I'm making a post. Uh, about uh, Nicolas Cage, I'm going to put like pictures and videos uh, from the, his, his appearance in that Grindhouse uh, trailer that was in there, mm-hmm. the Werewolf Women of the SS, <laughs> and and well, that one was like done like tongue in cheek to be funny, but he did the Wicker Man, which was a remake of a a movie from like the 60s, and it was so awful. And the stuff that he was doing in it was so ridiculously over the top. And it was supposed to be like a horror movie that there was people on YouTube that actually made like a comedy trailer of clips of it. And it's hilarious. Yeah, I saw people splice together all the instances in which he punches women. He keeps, yeah, he keeps, he, he's, well, he's on an island with all women, but he keeps, he keeps punching them. He's ninja kicking them and 
<laughs> then they they keep they keep stinging, putting him in situations where he gets stung by bees, <laughs> and then eventually, yeah, they they burn him alive. Hey Rob, did you see? Did you see the first Tron? Oh no, I didn't see any Tron. And well, this, I'm this trying- is this is an addition to um, the Tron video game. I know that they made. They made a Tron video game for like PlayStation 2 or something like that a couple of years ago. A computer. Well, whatever. And that was supposed to be the sequel. They were supposed to originally they were supposed to make a movie, then then like a CGI movie, and then everything fell apart so they made this video game. <laughs> if all else fails. Yeah. But but apparently they act they make they made an actual live action movie. It's it's essentially, and again, you gotta bear with me because I don't know what any of this means because I haven't even seen the first one. Well, there's two guys. They get on the little light bikes and then they do their little light bike dance or fight or whatever. And then, just as the the fight comes to a climax and there there's a winner, the camera pans off to a different room where it's Jeff Bridges, the guy from the first Tron. It's me, Barney. <laughs> okay. Now, I must be in, in the big scheme of things even worse than Rob since I haven't seen a movie that he has Oh, I seen. just I just found who the actual star was of the first Tron. Who was it? It was Bruce Boxleitner. Yeah, from I know. Babylon 5. And then the second then the the sequel, the quote sequel was the game Tron 2.0. So now this movie as they're advertising it is spelled T R 2 and then an N. T R two N. Oh my yeah. I, God. I swear. So the the light bike's over. The camera. The scene changes over to an old Jeff Bridges, who looks down upon the the light bike arena. Apparently, yeah. from his vantage point. Then it cuts back to the two guys that are in the arena, and the one guy who's all beaten on the ground looks up as the other guy in his suit starts pulling out his disc. I guess this means they're going to kill him or something. <laughs> I have no idea, but somehow there's a significance to the Victor pulling his disc out. And then the Victor's face shield mask opens up so that you can see his face. And it's Jeff Bridges, but young. <laughs> like from huh? the first Tron movie. Yeah. And so the the guy who's beaten looks up and says, hey, it's only a game. And then the Jeff Bridges guy says, not anymore. And then it cuts off. Wow. Uh, that's that's two fantastic. different ages. Two different ages. Yeah, the same actor at two different ages. Wow. Oh, God. See, Here's... now, I, I don't think that's the sort of response or excitement they expected at San Diego Comic Con. I'm, I'm reading some. <laughs> I'm just quickly, like, skimming some of the Google sir, uh, uh, like postings that are on Google about this. And apparently... No one had any idea this movie was being made. It's not on Wikipedia. It's not even on Internet Movie Database. <laughs> I've never seen this before. I thought if it's a Disney movie, everybody's got to know about it. Yeah, Disney, they still make movies? <laughs> well, they're making TR2N. Uh, the first Tron was... was Starring Ringo Starr. No. <laughs> Ringo Starr was not in Tron. Um... You should add that on the Internet Movie Database. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just just add him to every movie. (laughs) Add Ringo Starr everywhere. 
Well, it was like a long, long time ago. We found I found a website or something. It probably didn't exist anymore. That would show it, it was only the purpose of it was to list by movie and whatever, like the roles that different actors turned down. Oh, not starring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that's where you saw the th- <laughs> Pringle star was supposed to be. <laughs> he turned down every role in the 1960s. I don't know. Wait, look at this. This is weird. I'm on PawnStevenson.com, and I typed into the search box, not starring, to see which episode we talked about that. Don't tell me it doesn't appear. No, it came up uh, episode 51. Okay. NotStarring.com. And then also within that same episode, we talked about the movie Heaven's Gate starring Jeff Bridges. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what movie was that? Heaven's Gate was 1980. Chris Christopherson was like this gigantic flop. Waste of money. Is that where Jeff Bridges dies? I think that's Starman. Jeff Bridges does that, you know, does movies where he can make like weird faces because he has that like that weird, like cold looking like face. Mm -hmm. Doesn't look like it's alive. He was that stoned guy once, wasn't he? Yes. The Big Lebowski. Yeah. He was a dude. The dude, yeah. The dude. Well, now he's in TR2N. <laughs> Troon. He's in Troon. T, yeah, TR2N. It's like tur yeah. Well, Esteban, you know probably way more about this than we do, especially with the original series. And I know that a lot of the original Transformers were licensed from other Japanese toy lines. But do you know why specifically the Ironhide and the Ratchet toys, their robot modes, were were like a thousand times worse than all of the other robot modes? Well, the thing was, like you said, the Transformers were licensed from a previous toy line that existed in Japan. And that Japanese toy line had nothing at all to do with Autobots or Decepticons, okay? (laughs) They had their own separate little fiction, okay, made up by Takara, in which the Ironhide and Ratchet models weren't sentient robots, okay? You know how the Transformers, at least for the first couple of years, tended to have little driver's seats, driver compartments, yeah, Even the Dinobots yeah. had little seats that you could flip out and you could put a little uh, figure in. That's because in, in their Takara versions that came with the little drivers, Ironhide and Ratchet weren't meant to be sentient robots. They were more sort of uh, – the best way I could describe it in that continuity is like that suit Sigourney Weaver uses in Aliens. Yeah, They weren't meant – to have any sort of humanoid form, okay? Their functions were more along the lines of well, it was, it machinery was, than yeah, it was, humanoid robot. Yeah. So, and, and wait, so, so Hasbro took those toys and said, well, you know, we have this character Ratchet, we have this character Ironhide, we'll take those toys, they look nothing like robots, but we'll just tape a head to them. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yes, in order to make uh, something for the cartoon that was more relatable 
to the audience, they made a lot of changes to the toy designs so that you could have something that somewhat resembled a, a person. They gave a lot of them faces that in the toys cases did not have faces. And kids back then, they had imaginations, you know, and it worked, or at least it worked enough that nobody really worried about it when you're 10 years old. The thing is, what happens is once they hit 1986 or so, they ran out of pre-existing toys that they could pick and choose from. So That's then, when they started to And they come up with some real junk. <laughs> they had to start making their own and, and start having more Hasbro input into the design uh. process. If if there's anyone who could be considered like pretty much the the father of the mythos, the the George Lucas of Transformers, <laughs> that would be Bob Budiansky. That man uh, is a wealth of information about yes. how this all started. And of course, uh, Michael Bay did not consult him. <laughs> well, <laughs> I just <laughs> you see, it's like so many people have different uh, inputs and contributions to what eventually becomes this what uh, almost twenty five years old next year property that again it's hard to say who is the one guy because you know kids are going to grow up watching Michael Bay's Transformers and then pretty much no. consider him the guy who invented what they know as the line no stop that will be his legacy no. he will be in effect the Bob Budiansky of of this generation of, of 10 year olds we will not allow that well yeah I guess bottom line though it, you're you're not really the the target audience. Yeah. That's that's kind of that's the only way I can cope with how everything started changing. There's a lot more kids, believe me, that think the existing Transformers of the day are great yeah. than there are adults who don't like them. And then those kids who have their different tastes, they keep it alive. They keep it alive and they keep it going so that we can have the Michael Bay movies. And hopefully somebody else's movies after him. Oh, what use is that? Well, <laughs> it's like, would you rather be a fan of a dead franchise? Yes. No. I <laughs> then, then that Michael Bay movie, yes. I was just amazed from the Michael Bay movie. I was just amazed that all the, the dozens and dozens of reincarnations of Transformers that have happened in the last 20 some odd years. And the version that he came up with, it was like, oh man, I, mean, I couldn't, I couldn't even fathom that no. he could come up with something that absurd. It's just <laughs> that's it. Just surprised me more than anything. It was just surprising. I mean, he made a ton of money off of that, and I, well, even though I didn't really like it, unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> because that only encourages him. Yeah. Well, I, Titanic rather... broke all the box office records. So what does that tell you? People are going to people are willing to see stupid movies. What's coming out this weekend that I thought was kind of intriguing, but that I haven't heard anything about? X-Files? Uh, no, that Journey to the Center of the Earth. Oh, 3D. <laughs> yeah, Come on. 3D. Brendan Fraser. I would watch that. It looked fantastic. Well, here's, that I, but, See, iPad. here's the problem. Here's the problem. This is, this is a no-no. 
Brendan Fraser just came out with a movie that no one saw like two weeks ago. Or <laughs> is it out yet? The Mummy 3? I'll tell you in a second. With Chow Young Fat? That sounds See? like a winning combination to oh, me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's coming out with The Mummy 3. August 1st. Okay. And when is Journey to Center? I thought that, I think that's already out. It came out like last week or the week before. It came out right before Batman. July 11th. So he's got two movies coming out within a month. I know. Well, he's like Ben Stiller. But no one cares about him anymore. <laughs> so he's like, I mean, he's like, he's like Seagal. Like Steven Seagal makes like four movies a year. They're all made for DVD, but still. He's still making them. Yeah. But it's, it's. That's a no-no. Why are you? The 3D thing is besides the point. I, I, in fact, I saw a commercial today where it's like, go see it in whatever the 3D technology it was, and I'm like, all right, where am I find? Where am I going to find a theater that has that? Union Square. <laughs> okay, so I have to go in the middle of New York City to see a 3D movie and pay thirty dollars. Well, if it's worth it. Did you hear Lucas is doing Star Wars in three? Or maybe I heard that from no, you guys. No, yeah, he's no, looking no. at doing all six movies again in 3D. Would you pay <laughs> to see Are that? Shooting them? Well, <laughs> no, no the the best way I can explain is sort of remastering them so that they're 3D. Would um, you? No, but a few years ago, Industrial Light and Magic did that to uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. And they they took the existing two dimensional film and somehow reprocessed it in 3D, and it turned out really good. Yeah, but that there was you... that was animation, though. Well, like Star Wars isn't. That's essentially all Star Wars became. Well, <laughs> would you pay to see that though? Bottom line, would you go to pay to see that, even though you know it's terrible and you know you hate it? Would you go to see it just because the gimmick is that it's in 3D? Um, I would go it. If it was the, if they started with the original trilogy, yes, I would go to see that. Yes. What if it is? What if it's the original trilogy, but the new version of the original trilogy? Does it matter? <laughs> well, it, it won't. It does. It won't matter from the sense as long as I leave uh, the theater within like two at at the end of Return of the Jedi, right after they blow up the Death Star, second Death <laughs> Star. If I leave the theater right then then I can do it. Because after that point, he completely butchered that movie, which was not, I know it wasn't the greatest of movies, but he completely, he changed the, the, he changed the ending song. He changed the stupid ghost that appears and to, to have it be that idiot Hayden Christensen. I just, ugh. but I would go see it. I would go see the first star Wars in 3d. And if, 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 if it was actually 3d, I want it to be like you're on an acid trip. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can totally understand that, but I just don't know that that's possible. And oh, it's it's definitely possible, but not with something like let's say they take the original Star Wars, right? There's nothing. There's nothing that happens in the movie where you could have that kind of effect. They would almost have to reshoot it or or do something new to have a a scene visually. Where you could have that kind of effect. So you're in favor of adding new effects to Star Wars. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. <laughs> but I'm just saying that's what it would need. 
Look, I haven't seen the original Star Wars movies, but oh the, my god! Hold on, but from the I, bits, yeah. from the bits and pieces that I know, like for example, there's a scene where there's, uh, like they're driving really fast through a forest. In that scene, in that scene, the trees could be looking. You know, it it can feel like you're actually like the trees are popping out at you, like you're in the forest. You know, things I, like I, that. They could do, yeah. They could probably do that. For the um, the shots on the uh, the speeder bike, right? Where they where they put the camera on the front of the bike, the close up. They could probably do that, um, or even the, the outer space battle. You, you know, you know, like a an X wing or whatever it is fly by that could be popping out, or some of the stars could be popping out like right in your face. Well, that is the dumbest thing <laughs> I've ever heard. A star pop. A star? (laughs) Why would the star be closer to you than what's going on? Because you're going through hyperspace, remember? The Millennium Uh. Falcon. (laughs) (laughs) Or some of the, some of the, like, gunshots could be coming at you and stuff. But it it doesn't originally, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) And originally, it's third person. The gunshots are are hitting the the actor on screen. (laughs) The actor's not you. you (laughs) If I could guarantee, you would get hit by a laser beam. (laughs) The gunshots could be, it it, it could look like they're curved. (laughs) Oh, God, what? (laughs) A laser beam's going to come out. And do like like a curveball, <laughs> yeah. like a boomerang. I would pay. I would pay thirty bucks for that. But you know, on this subject, I was actually, I, w- I was looking online. And it was an, an article. Uh, I don't know where it was on Yahoo or something that they've come up with the technology for actual um, holographic video. Wow. Well, wait. I saw. I saw on a website. I saw on a website that I forget what company it was, maybe Panasonic or something like that. But they've actually come up with a a big screen, you know, like LCD TV, high definition TV. Yeah. That whatever video that you put on it, it shows it in 3D and you don't even need 3D glasses to see the 3D effect. Oh, that's what? fantastic. That's not possible. But here's the thing. So I'm like, oh, cool. So I did a search for videos of it on YouTube, and I found, like, oh, cool, there's a video of it. Duh, you can't see the 3D effect on a com- on a plain old regular computer screen, so I have no idea if it actually works. Exactly. You've got to buy it. you got to buy it. Oh, I-, I don't see this. you got to buy it. <laughs> Wasn't that the plot line of I'm that? I'm looking at this floor model. Why can't I see it? You have to buy it and bring it home. It doesn't work in the store. No, what what they're talking about is that the tech current, I guess the current holographic technology, which is interesting because I've never seen any real holograms, but I assume that apparently they exist. Well, those stickers that you used to get with the trading cards. No. The foil. (laughs) No. The the upper deck uh, holographic stickers. Yeah. Um, Those are holograms, right? No. What are they? I think they're holographs, and there's a difference. Ah. 
No, 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 no. The, the, the holograph would be what these people are trying to do. Those stickers were neither. They were just... <laughs> They're hollow foil. Yeah, there was something. I don't know. But <laughs> there's some other technology, whatever. But um, basically, what I guess what they say is the current technology, the problem is that the holographs are not rewritable. I, I don't know what, what that means, but... <laughs> Supposedly, the breakthrough is now that they they've come up with a way to theoretically to rewrite the holograms, the holograph or whatever. So it could it could actually show actual video. This whole technology sounds like it's just in its infancy. And I doubt we'll get to see Hayden Christensen at the end of Return of the Jedi in 3D. Uh, <laughs> or at least effectively. I hope they could get him as a hologram. I could cut his head off with a lightsaber. <laughs> That's a level of in- interactivity I don't think we're gonna have in our lifetimes. <laughs> nah, see that that's that's the next way to go with video games. I'm telling you. The, the, the Supposedly, before Blu-ray and high definition DVD players came out a couple of years ago, I remember on websites there were articles hyping up the HD DVD players, mm. saying that one of the features, like, oh, this is gonna be so awesome way better than a plain old regular DVD player, not only just because of the higher resolution, the high definition, but there's going to be really cool features that you can't do on a regular DVD player. Like, for example, you'll be able to insert a, a, a memory card from a digital camera with, with, let's say, a picture of your face on it. You can insert that into the HD DVD player press a couple of buttons and when you can put on a movie and when you watch the movie, you can tell it which actor's head you want to replace with your head. <laughs> oh God. Is that true? No. no. So no, why were they saying that? <laughs> whatever sells, you know what? They'll just say whatever it takes to get people interested. I, w- I want my head on anything that Sean Connery does. <laughs> actually they were talking about also in that article they were talking about uh 3d dvds where they came they 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 now the technology to come up with storing a dvd three-dimensionally i i don't know how you Wait, it is store... 3d already oh, no, no. <laughs> i guess they're storing the data three-dimensionally it has something to do with the holographics but uh, apparently, they can get like a 500 gigabyte DVD now. Nah, they've been talking about this for 30 years. Well, holographic <laughs> uh, discs and all that. So don't go out and buy any Blu-ray players yet, because we're gonna have holographic players for holographic <laughs> DVDs. Yeah, right. So Esteban, you were in the military. Yes. Right? Can you talk about that? Okay, I didn't do anything. That was in was... the CIA or something? <laughs> there is this sort of conception, or at least there was at the time, this perception, not conception, this perception that anybody in the Air Force was like a, a fighter pilot. And that's not true. I mean, there's all sorts of jobs. And when I joined back in 95... 
I was trained to be a weather observer, which just means I kind of just go outside to see if it's officially raining or not. I was the guy who made that determination. <laughs> it wasn't really raining officially until I wrote it down in my little block and sent it out in my computer. It was such a cake job. It was so fantastic. Of course, they got rid of it. And so I was left my last year of the seven years I stayed in without a job, pretty much, just kind of showing up to work and still doing the weather observing that I was trained for. But technically, in my little uh, performance write-ups and everything, I had no defined job. They just dissolved it and then kind of absorbed it into another career field. So so while you were in the Air Force, no uh, UFO encounters? You know, I I so wanted to. I so wanted ah. to see something. Especially since my job was to go outside and look at the sky constantly. But it just, it never really happened. And there were some kind of weird things that didn't make sense that I saw, but nothing that I could call UFOs. But So it's unidentified. Well. You can't identify it. Okay, yeah, I guess that's true. Okay, look, I was, I was in Korea for a year from 98 to 99, and a lot of times... I'd have the swing shift and we'd close the shop down at about uh, midnight or so. And then we'd, we'd go home. And I do remember this one night in Korea. We were overcast, which means there's total complete coverage of the sky. We couldn't see anything above. Uh, I remember it was about a mid deck overcast. So, uh, in layman's terms, it was still bright enough outside that you could see the moon through the clouds is very thin kind of overcast, you know, not a night that you would have weather, very thin mid deck overcast. And we looked on the radar before we went home because you couldn't close the shop. If there was going to be any weather, the weather shop had to stay open. If there was weather at this one little army camp that I was at. And so I'm there with the forecaster and we decide, okay, nothing's going on. Let's go home. Let's close shop. We looked at the radar because you have to do this before you leave the shop and close for the night. I can't stress how much that radar said there was nothing in the area. There was absolutely nothing for at least 50, I'd say almost 100 miles in every direction. Okay, mm -hmm. So we closed the shop up and we're walking back to our little dorm rooms. And then all of a sudden, the sky above the cloud just starts lighting up, just Strange pulses, flashes of light, very big too. You would almost swear it was, uh, it was lightning, but there was no sound, and it tripped me and the forecaster out enough that we walked back into the shop to see maybe we missed something, maybe this was some sort of a a, a storm in the distance or just any sort of weather explanation we could come up with, and it just confounds me and just stays with me to this night that. We couldn't make out above because it was above the clouds. If whatever this was was below the clouds, I'm sure we would have been able to figure out what it was. But we, it just – it wasn't. It was beyond the clouds and just a strange lighting up of the sky as if something was going on up there. And we're just trying to rationalize our decision to go home when we're seeing this this activity. We could find nothing to explain it being weather phenomenon. We could really – couldn't think of anything – it could be within our means, within our power, within our responsibilities. And so we, we left the shop closed after going back and checking the radar a third time and walked back and just totally dumbfounded at whatever these lights were beyond the clouds. And it could have been, well, I, I, I just try and tell myself that it was maybe helicopter f 
flares or, or I, I couldn't figure out any other explanation, but I just, I, I just tell myself it was that, you know, it's good enough, good enough for me, even though these things were huge. They were enormous, really bright pulses of light. It's just, I could, I, it's almost really hard to explain what it was. I don't know what it was. And I, again, I say it's anticlimactic. We just ended up going home and, and going to bed and, and not worrying about it. And who do you tell? I mean, there's, there's no, there's, there's no form you can fill out saying that I don't know what that is. There's no like secret. Everybody thinks the government is so well organized and that the military has the, the, the cover up of all the information. When the military, at least at the levels I was, the pay grades I was at, is just a bunch of normal people just doing the job that has to be done in order to get those planes up in the sky and back safely. Weird so essentially, that- as luck would have it, the paunch luck, your luck. Yeah, the paunch luck. Yes. Um, because it was cloudy that night, you missed the chance to see a UFO. Exactly. Ah, exactly. see, that's, that's the paunch luck. That's a once in a lifetime opportunity to see an extraterrestrial. Um, Other than when you're, you know, you see Michael Jackson on MTV or something. But Well, how long uh, did that last, though? It was a good uh, 15 minutes. I know it was a good 15 minutes. Really? Wow. <laughs> we have that's to be weird. very conscious of time. Mm-hmm. Was it something like Aurora Borealis? No, I've seen that. Korea isn't uh, far up enough that that you would see Borealis. And if you had Borealis on an overcast night like that, you wouldn't be able to see that at all, or it wouldn't luminesce or be or be bright enough that it would penetrate cloud coverage of that nature. It's just weird stuff, and there's probably an explanation. I just don't know what it was. Yeah, it must have been swamp gas. That's probably swamp gas at about fifteen thousand feet. Yeah. <laughs> so where were you before you signed up for the Air Force? I was uh, in El Paso, Texas, where I was born and raised, and working at Target. Now, since you're from Texas, the, well, the question so El Paso okay. is kind of different from the rest of Texas. Basic uh, training was in San Antonio, ah. and boy, was that a, a culture shock going from El Paso <laughs> to San Antonio. So when you were in San Antonio, did you see the Alamo? Oh yes, I've seen the Alamo multiple oh. times. So you saw the Al- you've seen the Alamo. Yeah. The question is, is there a basement? I don't think so. <laughs> or if there is, I was not allowed as part of where a normal touristy sightseer could go to see. I was not allowed there. So to the best of my knowledge, uh, no, didn't see one. Really small building though. Well, I mean, you know, it was a two-bit fort. So you spent time, you joined the Air Force, you spent time in Korea. I know just from reading your blog again that you had spent time in Antarctica. Yes. Right. So but that wasn't part of the Air Force. What was okay. that? And, and why, gotten... why there of all places? You know, the job that I do looking up at the sky, remember I said it got phased out? Essentially, yeah. I got replaced by robots. At every airport in the United States, you have little robots, little automated uh, surface observation systems that do the job that I used to do. And it's good enough for civilian aircraft. Do they transform? <laughs> no, not exactly. A bunch of transforming robots took <laughs> the job from where the Americans... In Antarctica, though, that's one of the last places, I think, well, besides Canada, 
where the robots are just not good enough to do the evaluating of the conditions to make sure they're good enough for aircraft to come in and, and go. So after I separated from so the, the airport, Canadians are as technologically advanced as Antarctica. Essentially, yeah, or ah. at least they're as distrusting of robots and machinery as Antarcticans. <laughs> okay, neophytes, is that what they're called? No, neophytes. I think the word would be Amish, uh, Rob. Uh, <laughs> or no, 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 I'm thinking of Luddite. Well, I don't know, from my from my point of view, I kind of I would kind of still have a job doing that stuff if I if people didn't trust robots. So, That's I sort of I totally endorse not trusting robots. But what happened was I separated uh from the Air Force and then uh, my wife, who is still in the Air Force, I met her when I was in the Air Force, and stayed in. And as soon as I got out, around uh, December of 2002, my wife got orders to Turkey. I'm like, Turkey? I was having the time of my life being a civilian in Arizona. I was so excited and so happy just to finally be out. Because, like I say, I guess the Transformers ties into this, too. Because during September 11th, I was in Bosnia. And all throughout my Air Force uh, career, I had been on the internet looking at the, at the Transformer fans and what they were saying, and they'd all be talking about BotCon. And BotCon would come and go every year since 94, and I was always either too busy in the Air Force or just the job just had me overseas or, or somewhere where I just couldn't attend because of work obligations. And it really kind of got me upset, but it wasn't big enough to leave the Air Force for. You know, but right. then September 11th happened. September 11th, I was in Bosnia and I was doing my job on the airfield, looking at the sky, coming back in, going to the computer. And on the TV, I saw the, the planes crash into the towers. <laughs> and then I kind of looked at where I was in life. I had just uh, finished my six year enlistment and it was time to decide whether you were going to reenlist or not. And, you know, I saw, and it sounds so absurd and it seems so stupid, but. I thought, if I stay in the Air Force, there's a chance that I could die, however remote, without ever having been to BotCon. And it kind of got, got to me. Like, I don't want to die without having been to BotCon. So I decided to get out. Not just based on that, but it was one of the reasons. I mean, the Air Force was interfering with my ability to go to toy robot conventions. So <laughs> I decided to separate. And 2002 was when I started going to BotCons. Because of this revelation, this epiphany that kind of September 11th had on, on my life, or at least on that day of my life. So I decided to get out. And looking at the skies was essentially, by the time I did get out, a useless skill that nobody needs. <laughs> okay? Like being a tank driver. I, in the civilian world, there's really not that much of a demand for, for somebody who can just look at the sky and tell if it's raining. So I kind of left that part of my life behind and then one day we're in turkey i'm living in turkey you know just on on a turkish air base with my wife and i got a call from an old observer friend that said hey they they still do weather observing and i said great and then she said well in antarctica and i'm like oh no wow but what was I doing, you know? I didn't have a kid and I was just there at the base with my wife to go into school taking classes but Really, I mean, I had nothing to lose. And then she was getting to the point where she was starting to deploy. And so I'm at a Turkish airbase all by myself while my wife is gone. 
and trying to find stuff to do. That was around the time Star Wars Episode Three came out. I remember making the mistake of going to a Turkish movie theater that did not play American movies in English with Turkish subtitles, but the straight Turkish dub of the movie. So the first time that I saw Star Wars Episode Three, I'm in a movie theater with a bunch of Turkish guys, and then the scroll comes up and it's in Turkish, the the <laughs> words at the beginning. And I'm like, oh my god, okay, well, okay, maybe that's just the only part that's in Turkish, and then the rest is going to be subtitles. Okay, I could still go with this. But then you got Anakin and, and Kenobi in the airplanes, and, and they're talking Turkish, and I'm like, oh, geez. This was the one movie of the prequels that I was looking forward to the most, and here I am, I'm sitting in the Turkish theater <laughs> on the day it comes out, and, okay, what do I do? And then I kind of thought, well, you have the very unique you know, experience of watching a Star Wars movie not in your native language, so just go with it. And so I kind of I watched it because, you know, they say Lucas is a very visual director or a visual storyteller and that you could watch a Star Wars movie with with the sound totally off and understand it. But that didn't happen. <laughs> well, right. I, I, I probably would have been better off watching it in Turkey because when I watched it <laughs> in the United States, I fell asleep. <laughs> no, you could not. Yes. Have <laughs> I episode three, I fell asleep. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Episode two, I fell asleep in. Yeah. Episode three, I almost fell asleep. Oh, my. Yeah, it was I couldn't boring. take it. But anyway, so you're in Antarctica. Yes, because they still trust humans to do the job where, you know, they figure out if it's snowing or not. <laughs> and, and, and as I recall, there's only like about a dozen people there, right, at any one time? Well, no, no, that's that's not true you see i had that preconception in my mind as well when i first kind of started researching the job all i knew about antarctica was that it was like the coldest place in the universe and nobody was there and i saw the thing you know the carpenter movie john carpenter yes the with kurt russell <laughs> yeah with kurt russell ah uh, what what is that what do you mean how what year that was no what was the name of that movie the thing the thing, yes. Yeah, that's what it was the called. The thing. thing. <laughs> it wasn't actually filmed in Antarctica, as I later no, came to find out. But, of course not. But you know, that was my only, my only idea, my only picture of what that place was. And then I'd look in the big atlases, and the atlases are just telling me extremes and and horrible, horrible things about the climate and everything. <laughs> and so I was just kind of second guessing my my whole. You know, the saying yes, but oh, what did I have to lose? You know, it's either Antarctica or Turkey. Yeah. Oh, so, boy. you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> and so I just decided, okay, we'll do Antarctica. And I went down there the first time for six months, six months down during the Antarctic summer. So huh. it was pretty much sunlight for the vast majority of the time I was there with the sun just doing this circle in the sky. Every, every day and never going down what was the temperature it wasn't that bad well okay it kind of it did it probably honestly, like san francisco eh, you know the the best was it like negative 100 no what? no no not negative no, mars no, no, nowhere <laughs> well no, no wait wait wait, wait. i say that because sometimes not this past winter, but sometimes the winters in 
a place like New York City can get very harsh. And with the wind chill, it can get to be like negative 11, negative 12. So I figure Antarctica has got to be like negative 50. Well, yes, you're right. You're right. And during the austral winter, that is the time when Antarctica is uh, shrouded in darkness, it does get extremely cold. And the first time I went down there was on the tail end of the winter and the beginning of the summer. So it was still dark outside and still kind of cold. And we did have to be mindful of when the temperature hit uh, negative 75 degrees. Oh. Okay. But that oh. rare. Well, what that, happened then? <laughs> the well, thing? They, <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> I would hope not. But you see, you got to understand the South Pole the most innermost, most landlocked portion of the continent is indeed the horror stories, the horrid, terrible, cold, but no precipitation to speak of. It's a desert. Hmm. And the farther away you get from the South Pole, the more you get actual weather, like snowstorms, right. things of that nature. Well, because the South, also the South Pole is colder than the North Pole because the South Pole is on a continent and it's actually like mountains, so... It's even higher altitude, therefore colder. It's, it's exactly, except those mountains are pretty much buried under miles and miles of ice. So mm. that even further adds to that at that level. But where I was at McMurdo, I never went to the South Pole. I stayed at McMurdo, the largest American installation on in Antarctica. And that place had weather, which was pretty exciting because you don't want to go to Antarctica and just be in the desert climate where maybe you get some ice crystals and that's about it and extreme cold and the thing yeah and the thing exactly you want more like uh you remember the the cuba gooding jr movie snow dogs (laughs) unfortunately i have a visual (laughs) 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 cuba gooding jr is not not one of our best actors (laughs) yeah but you know after my first stint down there when i came back that movie was out it seemed like to me Every time I came back from Antarctica during the March or uh, February time frame, there was yeah. always a movie about Antarctica in the uh, theater. It was Snow Dogs that year. And then I remember that Penguin Dancing movie, Happy Feet. Uh, that one came out around. It's like weird. It's like it's almost as if they try to keep Antarctica and, and the U.S. Antarctic program in the, the public's eye or mindset. Just make you aware of it by throwing these Cuba Gooding Jr. movies at you. <laughs> With Snowdog. Well, what wasn't the uh, one of the Alien uh, vs. Predator? Yes, Alien vs. Predator. Again, yes. that movie. So that that could be a dangerous place. I mean, you got the thing, <laughs> you've got yeah, aliens, that. you've got predators. It's dangerous down penguins there. Penguins dancing. Da- dancing penguins. Exactly. And these are the only things I had to, to give me a, any sort of frame of reference of what that place was going to be like because books weren't cutting it. So I, I figured it was somewhere between Snow Dogs and Alien vs. Predator. And when I got there, it was, at times, one of the most uh, beautiful and pleasant and also dead places that I've ever been in my life. Mm. And I, on a handful of days during the summer, I was actually able to go around in a t-shirt. Wow. And so I have some pictures of myself on my Flickr of me in a t-shirt in Antarctica which was kind of very mild compared to what some of the crazies down there do and get totally naked and, and <laughs> dive in the water. Oh, which oh. <laughs> that's, I don't know about that. Well, were you there in 2006? 
yes, I did the uh, the 2005-2006 and the 2006-2007. So uh, 2006, that was – but were you there when they did that, when they had Live Aid and they had a Live Aid all over the world on every continent <laughs> and they had – they had the one in Antarctica, and it was there was like one band. Nobody, it was it wasn't even a band. It was people that worked in Antarctica playing music. Well, every they do have a a little festival at McMurdo, an annual festival where they play music, and it's more than just one band. There's a lot of musicians down there. Antarctica seems to attract a lot of kind of liberal hipster kind of a uh, you know musical types. The only reason I mentioned the Live Aid, it was funny because they uh, they were flipping back. I think it was on MTV or something. They were flipping back and forth and at the different ones that were going on at the same time. So, like, you had the one, like, uh, I don't know if it was, let's say, Live Aid in uh, New York and Bon Jovi was playing and, and in London, um, <laughs> The Who was playing and maybe there was a Live Aid. There was one in Africa and U2 was playing you know what I mean? And then they were flipping back between that, like one of them, Madonna, Mariah Carey, whatever it was. And there were all these big acts and they were flipping back and forth between them. And then all of a sudden they flipped to the one in Antarctica. And it was again, it was the local scientists there <laughs> playing a banjo and, and, a, and a cello and essentially playing like bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was this really weird thing. It was like all these big acts in Antarctica, and I'm looking at I'm like, who is that fish? <laughs> no, it's it's just some guys playing bluegrass. <laughs> well, they, they you'd be surprised. McMurdo has facilities enough that you can rent uh, guitars and other types of musical instruments if you'd like, and you can play your own music. And they have uh, one, a couple of bars do karaoke if you're if you're into that. I never karaokeed, but I went to watch it. So it, it's its own little kind of community that you'd be surprised to but, see if you were there. However, again, this is during the summer when there are a lot of people. I mean, yeah. McMurdo hits a peak of, I think, about 2,000. Then during the winter, when it's dark all the time, everybody pretty much has to leave by late February because then it gets too cold to, to fly the planes. So you have the vast majority of the population of the station at both the McMurdo and the South Pole gone. And there's only like a skeleton crew left for the six months of darkness. What on earth do they do at the South Pole? The reason that we are there as outlined by the official document that gives us our mission is not really science. It's really, I believe the textbook explanation is that we are there to maintain a just a physical and political presence for the United States in the um, in the possibility that global warming gets so bad that that becomes the only place left to live. McMurdo just happens to be at the base of the southernmost active volcano in the world. That's nice. Well, yeah, it's cool to wake up and, and see this thing just off in the distance, I think 50 or so miles away from the station. It's still huge. It's still gigantic. And it's got its little plume of smoke. 
just constantly pouring whatever that stuff is out into the sky. It's gigantic. Mount Erebus is just enormous. But it supplies us with enough ground, enough actual physical, like, hard ground that at least the station has somewhat paved gravel roads. And then where I'd work out on the airfields, out um, some miles off onto the ice shelf, you have roads that are maintained as if they were roads. They just happen to be on packed snow and ice. And they lead out hover eight or nine or hover many miles away the furthest airfield. And to some airfields, they're even closer than that. So you have ice roads on the ice and kind of rocky sort of a dirt. Well, I, I hesitate to call it dirt because it's really just um, lava rock. They're at the station. And then the South Pole is just totally ice and packed snow. So, so how do people drive on the ice roads without slipping all over the place? Driving tractors. Well, not necessarily. We have normal, they're normal vans, okay, that I would use to drive myself out onto the ice, except they have big tires, so they kind of look, they're not monster truck tires, they're just somewhat oversized, larger than, than you would see on a, on a regular production van. Just kind of like, you know, the guys that drive up and down the street in their kind of jacked up trucks with the, with the somewhat larger than normal tires. That's what mm-hmm. we have down in Antarctica. Four wheel drive, big tired, vans and all sorts of other vehicles and these roads are maintained by the same type of mach- i don't know how snowy does it get where you guys live i mean uh, when it snows you probably have large machinery that goes out onto the the your airports and kind of scrapes the runways and ejects yeah, the, the snow, snow plows just snow yes just imagine like they have sn- the equivalent of of snow plows to maintain these roads and keep the ice packed down so that you can drive your van with normal big size tires on the ice out to wherever you have to get on the airfields. But you have to probably go pretty slow, right? Well, yes, there are speed limits. Um, I forget what the highest you're allowed. I don't think you were ever allowed to go above 30 legally. <laughs> what are you going to yeah, get but pulled I mean, it's, over it's not... by the police? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, there are, there, the there's only one, uh, police. <laughs> one guy on the station is, uh, is there a speed trap down there? No, there's no, no there's no. <laughs> Wait, no there's only trap. one cop. There's only one authority figure. Yes, he's the only person there at McMurdo who has the authority to do like cop stuff. the mm. The whole station pretty much runs as a community without police, and right. you just act accordingly, or else you get sent home for even the slightest infraction. You throw a punch or hit anybody, and you're off the next day. You're on the next plane going back to New Zealand. It's like the real world. Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of. People drive each other crazy, but you don't get out of line. They should have the next real world in Antarctica. I think that would be good. <laughs> and then just bury them in the snow. Exactly. No, I have it on the South Pole. The South Pole. That would be the place. That would be the place. <laughs> so in all of your travels, uh, Esteban, uh, how, many, how many continents do you think uh, would you say you've listened to the Paunch Stevenson show on? Well, definitely Antarctica, and then, let's see, Turkey. I guess I had a stop in Singapore the first time I went down, and I remember that airport was really nice, but really long layover. Well, that's so I still Asia. Podcasts there. Yeah, that's still Asia. Turkey, so it would probably just be um, Asia, Antarctica, the States, and, well, what's New Zealand? Because I stayed a couple uh, New Zealand is actually, I believe, uh, Australia. 
There you go. So whatever New, New Zealand counts as, probably somewhere along the line over the last uh, at least three three years, I have probably listened to your show on a, on a CD that my sister made. <laughs> Maybe that would be four comments. Wow. Uh, so then I, I don't know if we have anybody li- listening in South America. I know we have some people in Europe. Well, here's the thing. Other podcasts have people listening in all different continents. Yes. The Paunch Stevenson show has one listener who's going to all the different <laughs> continents. <laughs> and, you know, I always used to joke to Rob, the only people listening to us are in Antarctica, and I was right. <laughs> Oh, and uh, before we go, one celebrity death. Uh, one of the Golden Girls, Estelle Getty. Yes. Was she was, the really old one? Yeah, she was the little one, uh, Sophia. Wow. The B. Arthur's mother. How it, old was she? Uh, she was almost eighty-five. Uh, three days short of her birthday, died uh, July twenty-second of two thousand and eight. And, I thought uh, she was already 85 in like 1985. <laughs> no, that was yeah, no, that was like makeup and wigs and all that. Oh. Yes. And remember she was also in a Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. Yeah, yeah, she was in that. No, but she was in, in the 80s. You know, she was in her 60s. Yeah, but so was everyone else in that show. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're all old. And then the the spin-off which was uh, Empty Nest with the Richard Mulligan, the ugliest, <laughs> the ugliest leading man ever on television, other than like George Burns or Ringo I, Starr. <laughs> no, no, Ringo Starr is better looking than those guys. Uh, but Esteban, thanks for being a guest. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, we're gonna try to get. Show, I, I know you read this site too, branded in the '80s. Yes. So we're going to try to get Sean. I, I have to write back to him, but we're going to get him on the show, too. I'm the weirdest guy on the Internet. If you want to see my website, Jeff, you have to drink the coffee. Or as uh, Tom Brokaw would say. Gerald Ford. Not Gerald Ford. <laughs> God, can you update a, 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 a quote? I'm doing the Dana Carvey thing. Yeah, but you're just, you're supposed to say it. Estelle Getty is dead today. I can't. <laughs> Why? Because Dana Carvey didn't say Estelle Getty. <laughs> so? So I don't know how he would say it. Oh, my God. Are you there? So you're a mimic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
that's we're all you robots. <laughs> I I am doing an I'm an impressionist. I'm doing impressions. No, wait a minute. And you're a, a mimic. Wait a minute. You're like a parrot or something. <laughs> I do Louis Anderson. <laughs> I do Stan Lee. I just can't do Tom Brokaw. <laughs> But you you just did him. But only the things that Dana Carvey. <laughs> oh said. my God! So you can't you can't process that Tom the Tom Brokaw voice into <laughs> other words. He's saying other words. I can do other people, just not him. <laughs> God. <laughs> Is Gerald Ford dead? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So they really did die. Yes. <laughs> no, the first digital camera that I had, again, it was like what you were talking about, really cheap. And uh, <laughs> this thing was so horrendous. I was just, I was trying to test it out just to see how the pictures would come out. Uh. So I kept taking pictures of this candle that I had that was in the shape of a cactus. <laughs> But but it was a cactus with eyes and a nose and a, a mouth and a cowboy hat. <laughs> so, Did it so have a mustache? So, no, but I brought it outside and I put it on top of my <laughs> car. And I kept taking close-up pictures of it. And the thing is, it was such a piece of garbage, I couldn't figure out how to get the pictures off of the camera no. onto the computer. To see what they look like. <laughs> so I got so frustrated that I just... I, I put it on the scanner. I scanned it. And I put it on eBay. I just wanted to get rid of it. So someone bought it. I think the person paid like $40 for it or something. So I shipped it to the guy. And he wrote back to me. Like after he got it, he wrote back to me. Hey, I just wanted to let you know I got the camera. Everything's fine. Except there were these really psychotic pictures. <laughs> <laughs> you idiot! You didn't delete them. I couldn't figure out how. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> well, one of my cousins had a digital camera that the the storage medium was a three and a half inch floppy disk. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. I think they still have it. Yeah, they still do because I see them taking Wait. pictures with the floppy disk, and I'm like, "What are you doing? You floppy disk? What is it? How store much one picture? <laughs> you know, I mean, I can't imagine that the pictures are more, more than like the, the resolution stamp. must be like get like the six forty by four eighty. <laughs> what about what about a five and a quarter? <laughs> yeah okay I'm in a corner <laughs> the pictures come out like Atari graphics <laughs> yeah like the Apple 2 they're all vector <laughs> so well, Esteban thanks, thanks again you're welcome you know now I'm thinking about it I'm hating the intro as we did the hint, the intro and I'm starting to probably hate a lot of other things why I don't know. I think I sounded dumb. No, nah. no, no. no it's going to sound good. You'll see. <laughs> yeah, Trust, I me. Trust me. Trust you, me. By the end of it, you'll you'll be listening to it and wondering, you know, things that you 
don't remember saying are on there and things that you swore that you said that were intelligent have been cut. Well, what I do is jokes cut out. Basically, what I do is I take everything that you've said and I split it up into individual words so I can make new sentences. (laughs) Exactly. You see, he's admitting it now. Finally, finally admitting it. I'm kidding. I don't do that. I don't. If I croak tomorrow, he could do this show for like another year and a half, I think. <laughs>